You want to know why I'm putting you square with Lazar? Not particularly. I want everybody to be friends. And I do this. You're friends with Lazar. He's friends with you. You're friends with me. All you got to do to show you're a friend is give me Bernie, burn, burn. So the deal is I give you Bernie, smother over with Leon, you bail me over with Lazar. Yeah. Then we're all friends again. <laughs> you, me, Leo, the Danes. We can maybe have tea sometime. Come on, Eddie. Friends is a mental state. Wait a second. I'll think about it. Think about it. <laughs> you hear that thing? <laughs> the kid's a thinker. That's terrific. Does he want a pillow for his head? Okay, kid. Think about it. It's a mental state. If it'll help you think, you should know that if you don't do this thing, you're not going to be in any shape to walk out of here. Would that be physically or just a mental state? Welcome to Stuff We've Seen. I'm your host, James Kent. Uh, Teal could not be with us. Yes, that's right. He came back for one episode and now he is gone again. He's busy doing something, but that's okay. Because, uh, you know, we're always asking our listeners, hey, you know, if you have any feedback, get in touch. If you want to be on the show and talk movies, be in touch. Well, guess what? This week we got one of those listeners. He reached out to me on Instagram and said, hey, man, I like your show and uh, love to come on. And that uh, is music to my ears. And uh, this is going to be really cool. Uh, This person is an actor, kind of bills himself as a character actor. His name is Galen Howard. And he's been in a ton of stuff. I mean, if you look him up on IMDb, he's got over 100 credits, um, a, lot of, a lot of shorts, a lot of independent films, uh, a lot of horror stuff. Uh, he's been on TV. He's been in music videos. He was in Justin Timberlake's Can't Stop the Feeling. Um, the only disappointment I have on that is that I'm stupid. And when I watched Can't Stop the Feeling and there were all these different uh, people dancing, I thought they were just like people that they found at a job. And of course, now that I find out that he's been in the video and he's clearly not a, uh, a donut shop worker. So that just kind of like uh, broke the illusion and I forgot, oh yeah, this is Hollywood. They, they, uh, they hire people to be these things. So, But anyways, this is really cool. This guy, Galen Howard, is in the studio virtually somewhere. Uh, Galen, are you there? I certainly am. Thanks for having me, James. Well, you're welcome. And that was quite the rambling introduction I just did. <laughs> Good job. Good job. No, thank you. Okay. So, you know, again, this is really a, a treat for me because uh, I don't even know how I started following you on Instagram. Uh, maybe, you know, you like maybe one of my, uh, I, I post, you know, various things uh, that usually have to tie in with the show or something with a movie and you may have liked yeah. it or started following me. So I started following you. hundred percent. So it's kind of weird is that, uh, you know, through the social media, you always feel like you sort of know these people and uh, you're mm-hmm. one of these guys that when you see you, you're like, I know I've seen this person somewhere. I've seen him in something because you have that. <laughs> 
awesome character yeah. face. I mean, you know, if you're looking for somebody to play a role with a mustache, you don't have to slap a fake mustache on Galen Howard. He's got one. <laughs> I do. I do. I grew it myself. It's cool. It adds to, again, it adds, you have a whole character look. And of course, now, uh, before we even jump in anything, I'm going to start playing casting director here. Okay, go. I'm, I'm throwing this out because, you know, I, I'm sure we have like thousands and millions of people that listen to the show. And, and of course, probably a number of casting directors. And this is what this is my thought, just from the stuff that I've seen and seen your reel and, and some of the things you've done. I'm feeling like Paul Thomas Anderson is right now, he's shooting some 70s film somewhere in LA. And you should be in that movie, man. I don't know what part, but you you've got to see you're right there. You're like a 70s looking guy. Yes, that's that's totally my world. It's not too late. He can still call me. That's right. I'm available. I know he listens religiously. So I you know, that's why I'm putting this out there. Right. Because <laughs> listen, you're ready to go. You, you just throw on the costume and you are ready I to am. be in that 70s movie. I could be on set later tonight. I'm ready. I'm, I'm good. So let's yeah, let's do it. So if your phone rings either while we're doing this. Right. But here's another one. Okay. Okay. I was thinking about this and I'm sure you've gotten this before, but I heard that they are doing a TV show of MacGruber. Oh, wow. I don't think I did hear that. That's awesome, though. I think you should be MacGruber's younger brother. That's <laughs> that's cool. I, I, I actually, I almost kind of met Will Forte. I did a bit on the Conan O'Brien show for this music video I did Um for Weezer, they did a video called uh, Thank God for Girls uh, years ago, and they kind of at the last minute filmed this sort of lyric video you know, of it because there's a line in the video about cannoli. And so it's about three minutes literally of me eating cannoli. And it's messy, it's gross, and it's and they they shot it in afternoon, and you know I had it on the you know on the air in, in time for the the single drop, uh, you know days later, and it, so it was you know among their fans kind of was a was a big highlight for them. So when they performed the song on uh, on the Conan O'Brien show a month or two later, they had me up in the rafters with my signature plate of cannoli, and so there was a, a few shots of me just up in the rafters eating cannoli as they were talking about it. It was pretty great. And so there is they had they had Will Forte on the show and so there's a a photo out there somewhere of you know me on one side with flanking the band on one side of the and then Will Forte on the other side. We never met. We never exchanged a word between us. But, you know, people always saw that photo or like, oh, you you must be friends with Will Forte. I was like, yeah, we're so close. Yeah, we exchange we exchange uh, Christmas cards every year. You could be brothers. And that's why I'm saying <laughs> yes. in, in MacGruber, he needs a brother and it should be you. So there, those are my two uh, shout it. outs that, uh, I don't, you know, because I'm sure you get that all the time, right? Where people are like, oh, you're an actor. You know what? You should be in this or you should be in that. And you're like, oh, sure. Well, oh. Okay, like get me on the show. Yeah. It's a, oh, thank you so much. I'll work on that. Yeah, yeah. I never thought of that before. Right. I'm going to call them right up and say, hey, somebody got a great idea. Yeah, because because that's how it works. That's how it works. If you think you should be on something, you just tell them and they'll put you in something. That's how Hollywood works. <laughs> I thought so. You're a California guy, right? You've been there all your life. You grew up in Northern California, right? Davis, California? That's right. That's right. And yes. that's what southwest of Sacramento, right? G yeah, generally speaking. Yeah, yeah, it's about 20 yeah, it's about 20 minutes of, uh, of of Sacramento. Yeah, I spent I mean Look at me with the geography. Right, exactly. Ooh. <laughs> There's nothing to do in Davis unless, you know, you you ride a bicycle or you go to and or you go to college uh, at the university, so which I, I did neither of those things. So I spent most of my time in Sacramento. So those are the formative years. And Indeed. What gets you interested in movies? 
Oh man, I mean, it's one of those things you just, it, you know, it's like a, like a, like a fish describing water. It's just like, you know, it's just something always my whole life, you know, with something I was exposed to, I was always film acting, all of that. It, you know, it comes, it derives from a, a need to tell stories. And, you know, I was always thinking in those terms, always had that active imagination, always making up stories with my toys and all that stuff from a, you know, from a kid. And so I think you're always, once you see something like that, and you're like, oh, that's an extension of this thing that comes naturally to me. First, when you see movies and that sort of thing, the idea of actually being involved in something like that, it's it's so far removed. But I've always, I've always loved film, always loved playing pretend. Uh, you know, I started acting in you know, little theater camps and that sort of thing, summer little theater programs when I was you know, 10 or 11 years old. Just kind of extended from there, started doing things in high school, and you know, th- th- it just kind of built from there. So was it something that, you know, this was kind of like your, your mission and passion from early on, or is, you know, acting something that kind of you fell into a little bit, which is weird that anybody would say that, but I mean, I think that sometimes can happen is that people might think, oh, well, I'm going to be doing something for a career and it's not going to be acting. And then suddenly, poof, they're they're acting. I wouldn't say I fell into it. I think I, I probably, I, I maybe fell back into it in the sense that I think it's one of those things you don't necessarily envision it as a career. I was always, it was something I was very passionate about. I think I think later on, I when I was in high school and that sort of thing, the idea of being an actor, it, it didn't necessarily seem like a serious thing. I more had a sense of like, oh, like I would, you know, maybe, maybe be a, a writer, maybe be a filmmaker, maybe teach film academically, something like that. And then I kept taking these opportunities, anything I could to good to, to be in film or to, to act. And I think a lot of it was just that I, you know, from originally, it was just a love to, to be on set because I loved movies. I loved how they were made. I loved the whole process. So it, even if it was just some kind of a hacky production, some people with a camera, you know, filming something, filming two towns away you know, late at night and then driving back you know, on no sleep, six in the morning. Like I was excited to do anything just to be part of the process, to be part of the conversation. So long story short, it was more just a, a thing of, of realizing that I just, I just kept doing this. I couldn't, I couldn't get away from acting, I think is ultimately it. I tried to get away from it, but I, I kept falling back into it. And then around, um, around my mid twenties, I had basically exhausted every opportunity I could in, in that area, in the Sacramento Bay area, Jason, all of that. And just, you realized, you know, I'd always had this kind of aversion to Hollywood, Los Angeles. I think they kind of, they kind of plug that into you a little bit of this, you know, this idea of it being toxic, the idea of it being, you know, it kind of just, you kind of just sell your soul and you, you know, and you choose you up and spit you out, kid. Exactly. That whole idea, you know, you, yeah, I mean, that whole mentality. And I remember telling, telling that to a, the, a an older gentleman who had, who had had a career in, uh, in film. And, you know, I was saying like, oh, I'm, I'm afraid of it being too toxic. And he said, well, it's as toxic as you want it to be. And that always stuck with me. And, uh, you know, I, I still think about that because, and it's really, it is really true being out here in LA and, and I'm kind of jumping the gun a little bit. We'll get into that more, but it just, as far as, because this is, this is the place to be. This is the, oh, this absolutely. is where, yeah. this is where the sausage is made for sure. So it's like, this is where you got to be at least for the, for the formative years. So, you know, so I just, um, just kind of bit the bullet and decided, well, if it's not the place for me to be, I better figure it out now. So, 
um, that was 10 years ago and I'm still here. It was it that literally like, I'm going to take the leap and you go there or did, was there a project that brought you there? It's a little bit of both. You know, again, I was writing a bit and a, a buddy of mine who's, who's still out here, um, also doing very well for himself, uh, was ahead. My friend Ryan had come out here for a film school he was at UCLA and was one of those guys who he was he was always working on something. So he was finishing his degree, writing scripts for classes and stuff, but then was writing, you know, three other projects on his own. You know, he was just a workaholic like that. And we we had a project. We had written this kind of like crazy sort of Cohen Brothers uh, slash Wes Anderson kind <laughs> of caper comedy. And yeah, very fun little thing and through uh, just a, a random party that he was filming for a documentary he ran these producers um, they got to talking and they asked if he had any projects and he sent them this this random script that we had written and it turned into a lot of a handful of meetings um, and development we we just developed the script with them and like the majority of the projects that are in development out here it um, you know, went the way of the dodo, but it got me driving and flying out to Los Angeles at least once a month, once or twice a month for about a year. And so it, it kind of, it got me familiar with the area. I got to connect with some some other people who had moved out here in that time. And, uh, you know, it really just kind of, kind of sold me on the idea of being out here. So you, even though I came out here um, originally for, on a writing project, it kind of sold me on the idea of actually pursuing acting out here. So about a year after that, I found a random apartment and yeah, moved moved out here. Um, it'll be about 10 years in uh, November. How do you go from doing what you just described to then getting an agent, which I'm assuming you must have an agent, right? I do. Yeah, right. I so still do. How, what, what, point do you get an agent and how does that come about? It took a while and that was the way it was for me. I mean, some people come out here with agents, you know, they'll, you know, some people they'll get scouted by an agent at their, uh, at Juilliard or wherever they go to school or something, or they have, have an uncle who knows someone or something like that. I mean, for me, it was just random connections. There's so many different ways that you get, uh, get opportunities here. So, um, there's a big kind of catch 22, you know, because everything's online now the days of you know like busting your headshot to the agent by carrier is you know are over everything everything's online so there's really no excuse not to have all your material up there but you know you need an agent to get work but you need an example of your work to get an agent so how do you do that right it's that magical that's that's what i think it's that thing that boggles the mind for a lot of people that make them i don't it doesn't even matter like how talented or not talented i think a lot of people just say i don't even know how that would ever happen mm -hmm. and i'm not even going to try so I think that just talking to you right now, what you've done is an achievement that a lot of people mm -hmm. don't even get as far as you've gotten. It, it took about uh, like a few years to get a to get an agent that was really able to get me into any kind of rooms. I got um, a commercial agent. You can get a commercial agent relatively easy because it's solely on your look. It's not about your your credits or anything like that. Often they might not even look at your reel. You know when they bring you in for uh, you know commercial because again it's it's all about the 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 look and how it sells the product. So I got an, a commercial agent after about the first year or so, and then uh, you know went out for went out for a couple things. I think I mean I think I got my first commercial booking um, a year or two later. So it was a long process. Uh, again, long story short, it was about it was about three or four years before I was really getting work consistently. 
you know, there was that incubation period and then it kind of built from there. Um, well, here's one thing that you've done. This is my own, my own personal bucket list. And I mentioned this because I mentioned this in a discussion a, a few episodes ago, I was talking to a friend of mine and I always wanted to have a full cast done of my head. I always thought that would be fun because of my love of like horror as a, as a kid. And I see on your uh, Instagram mm-hmm. page that you actually have had this done to yourself. One of the first film projects I did I had um, I had a cast done for uh, a a gunshot effect. They built like a whole a whole dummy of my head for for this final scene in the film where where I get a get a rifle shot to the head. <laughs> yeah, 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 wholesome <laughs> stuff. And then funny that uh, funny the that that artist uh, the that makeup artist a guy named uh, Jim Ojala, really talented uh, makeup artist and uh, effects artist, um, has used that cast of my head multiple times since then. So he's gotten a lot of bang for his buck from that <laughs> from that life cast. He brought me in another show where where, where my head got cut off and then they pick apart my head and like take out the eyes and everything. It was, that was really fun. So he's gotten some mileage from that head. Now you've been on a fair amount of horror related projects. Mm -hmm. Now, is this just something where, you know, you end up doing some of those and now suddenly like everyone's looking for you to be in these horror movies or you just gravitate to some of those because you just, they're just a lot of fun to do. A little bit of column A and column B. Um, Originally, my friend Ryan, the guy I was writing with before, wrote a kind of a horror thriller called Children of Sorrow and uh, with that he produced with a horror director named Jordan McClure and it was kind of a they don't call it a found footage film but it is it's it does fit in that mold as far as it's taken from different cameras um, right 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 found footage yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It found footage-esque it's yeah this idea of different camera footage edited together and it's basically the idea that it's camera footage edited together set taken from a a religious cult compound found all these backpacks and look what was inside <laughs> exactly yeah this idea we gotta put the capes together and edit it <laughs> exactly so it's that idea. So it's, uh, yeah, from all these different sources, from security footage, personal camcorder, that sort of thing. And so it's this account of this uh, this cult compound and, yeah, out in the desert. And so I played one, you know, one of the acolytes and um, on that. <laughs> and it was really, yeah, really fun, incredible experience. Uh, it was it was very immersive. Um, and and it was, yeah, it was kind of a horror thriller, um, but, but definitely had... Had some of the horror elements, had some of the kills and that sort of thing, and and uh, yeah, Ryan writes a lot of horror and really good at it, and has a great knowledge of the the form, and so I kind of, that was kind of my introduction to it, and then we would go to the movies together and see, and we would always see the latest horror film, and I'm a I'm a I'm a fucking coward when it comes to horror, so I'm the one who's <laughs> always like you know huddled in a fetal position, so he would always love to take me to the horror films and want and watch me fall apart. So I kind of over the years got a little more indoctrinated into the genre. And you know, I mean, just as a as a film enthusiast, you know, I've I've definitely, you know, I, I can I can appreciate the craft of the genre and the origins of the genre. I think it's I think it's really there's there's a lot of really fascinating elements to it. So I've done little things like that over the years and then you know, just stayed connected with other, you know, it's all about who you know. So I, I, you know, did a few projects and then would get brought back in for other things. Uh, Ryan and Jordan did a few shorts in between features, you know, getting a, trying to get another feature off the ground. So I, I would do little things with them over the years and then other, I did a handful of other horror films, did one for the, the company Full Moon, 
which is which is famous for the puppet master genre. Oh yes, the, the ginger <laughs> dead man. You know, esteemed products <laughs> like that. Uh, so yes, yeah, so all the greats. Yeah, so I did a I did one of their projects. You know, shortly after that, that was a lot of fun. You know, one of those crazy things where it was, it was actually it was also, that was another found footage film. It was kind of a, a sort of iteration of a film years back called uh, Grave Encounters, and so it was kind of in that mold and uh, you know, kind of a haunted house kind of paranormal thing. Did a, did a film with them, and you know, it was shot in like a week. They pump them out quick, so so that was a lot of fun. It was a real roller coaster ride, and I'm and, you know done done little things like that over the years. And another feather in my cap was working with a filmmaking team, two guys named um, Rusty Cundiff and uh, Darren Scott, and they did. Uh, they're known. Uh, they're known for the uh, the horror anthology Tales from the Hood. And yeah, they also, uh, he, I think his first movie was Fear of a Black Hat. Yes. Yeah. Classic to, yeah. Early, early 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those, so I did a, um, a, a another horror anthology uh, project with them a few years back that eventually ended up being called uh, American Nightmares. And it was uh, kind of in the same social justice horror that they, they do so well, definitely in the vein of uh, Tales from the Hood and, um, it had uh, Danny Trejo as the horror host. A lot of fun actors. Like uh, they actually brought back like Clarence Williams the Third and uh, Jay Moore and people like that. And it was uh, yeah, and that was a that was a really fun one. So yeah, I've done a, a lot of varieties of the genre. You know, there's so many subgenres in horror, which is so much fun. So I've done a little bit of everything. You know what you'd be great at? See, here he is. I opened got yeah. another one of those. I just, <laughs> yeah, but, yes. but you just made me think about this. So there's that anthology show. I've only seen a few of the episodes. You know, sometimes I pop something on uh-huh. late at night. Uh, on HBO is those Duplass brothers. Oh, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Room 104. Room 104. Be perfect so, in, oh, yeah. yeah. You'd be perfect in one of those, man. Yeah. Some some friends of mine have been on that show before. That's a, that's such a cool show. I love yeah. the I love the anthology format. Um, there's so much you can do with that. That's a really that's a really fun show they do. Um, they, they do just a little bit of everything, which is great, but yeah. Well, I love the concept of the fact that it's always in that same room, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes, you know, it's different time period and stuff, but like yeah. the idea that you have to work within those walls and come up with a story. And, you know, I mean, look, you know, some are better than others mm-hmm. and uh, I have a lot that I still need to see, but uh, I think probably one of their more famous ones, it was one of the early ones that I caught recently was the uh, pizza guy episode. That's a fun and, uh, one. That's a good one. That's a fun one. Yeah. But, but those are like nice because, you know, there's like a nice little shorts and they do feature a lot of um, character actors. In they them. do. Yeah. And it's a really, they, they definitely, they favor the actors a lot. It's a very, it's a very actor driven show because it's a, because they're, they're almost like, just like little plays so you know it'll all take place in mostly in that one in room 104 so it's it's really fun that way look you're in a business that's very very hard right and you know you're clearly a hustler right you have to hustle you have to it's hard enough out there right and then mm-hmm. along comes this pandemic oh yeah this little pandemic yeah. yeah boy does that throw a wrench into probably everybody's lives but mm-hmm. you know I, I really think about the Hollywood industry because sometimes you know you're looking for your next paycheck and then suddenly there is no paycheck and uh, you know so I always like to know well how's it been how you doing yeah I mean it's 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 an interesting thing I mean it was it's one of those things I think the you panic the most the moment before the shit hits the fan. 
you know, because <laughs> you don't know necessarily what's going to happen. And so that moment, like when it was like early March, when there was this idea that like, this is actually serious. We all love to kind of, you know, live in a bubble and kind of out of sight, out of mind. Like, no, this is this is fucking serious. So uh, there, uh, you know, there was that idea of like, could we get shut down? Like, oh, my God. And then once we got shut down, it was kind of like, OK, well, we're shut down. Now what? And, you know, you kind of that, that moment of panic is past because you're you're in it now. And it's not a matter of like, could this happen? It's like, no, it did happen. And we're in it. And so now what? And I've just uh, been been trying to um, you know, work within. I think what a lot of people are doing is just you know, working within the limitations. And, you know, you see a lot of people trying to do things remotely, you know, shoot things themselves, you know, things that can work within the limitations. And um, I, it's been an opportunity for me to, to, to go back to some of my writing um, and, uh, and develop, develop projects, things that I can pitch, you know, once things go back into production, and then other right. things that aren't there's, you know, there's a lot of, you know, outside of just the kind of like, there's a lot of podcasts, like the one that you do and, and others, but then there's also there's a lot of dramatic structure narrative podcasts, you know, almost in the sort of like radio drama format. Uh, so I've been uh, toying around with with stuff like that, too. I love the kind of the different things that people are doing with the medium. So, you know, just exploring all different options. And just, you know, I mean, I, and we've learned our lesson as far as I think at this point, as far as projecting how long this is going to go and to what end. I mean, we thought that this was going to we'd be out, we'd be in the clear in June. And that obviously didn't happen. And then we were thinking by August. And well, here we are, by the time people are listening to this, it's going to be late September. So, you know, it's it's just a matter of staying present and focusing on something right now in the moment. And then, you know, once things pick up, it's like, okay, cool. Let's just put those things aside and get back to work. And that's the other thing is just is staying active, uh, you know, because I think the worst thing is going to be for the, you know, the people who have just kind of been uh, hiding under the bed this whole time. And then they actually have to, you know, interact with normal society again, you're going to ha have like a lot of trolls coming out from under the bridge and not knowing how to talk to people. So I think the, the big thing is staying connected and staying staying engaged with people. And so doing things like this, you know, just talking to some cool dude, I've does a cool podcast and just, and being able to talk about movies is, is, uh, makes a big difference. Yeah. So do you find that now, I, and I think we were trying to schedule this a couple of days ago and you, you got busy with something. Are you starting to see some things starting to open up? I know, of course, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, he's shooting something, but of yeah. course these are big budget productions where they can probably put in all sorts of safety precautions, um, and get a, get a production off the ground, but yeah. it's probably going to take a lot longer for other things to get back to whatever the normal is. Yeah. So some of the bigger productions have a little more um, more of a safety net as far as uh, compensating for the all of the new precautions that, uh, that SAG has implemented, and rightfully so. I, I think a lot of the smaller productions have been waylaid, uh, unfortunately, you know, because, you know, a lot of those you know, around like half a million or something, you know, 250, half a million, and those can get easily doubled the budget. So, so that's going to delay a lot of these projects. So there, there are a couple things that I've, I had potentially in the woodwork that have been, um, have been pushed back for that very reason. And then, then there's some smaller productions here and there, music videos, shorts, and that sort of thing, you know, kind of the, those kind of little interim projects that have popped up here and there where, you know, they can, they can still fit within the precautions, but it's a little easier if it's like, you know, literally just three or four crew, two actors. Yeah. And one location, and that's all you have to account for. So, you know, I've done been doing little things like that. And then there's 
few things, few television productions starting up and that sort of thing. But you know, the phone's not ringing too much as for the for that kind of stuff because you know it's it, there's only uh, there's only a few things auditioning here and there. The whole industry has changed anyway, but yes, the, what the traditional was what the spring was pilot season, right? And that that all went out the window. That format has kind of changed. Has changed what with uh, you know streaming and cable and everything else. There is. There really is no set pilot season anymore. You know, Netflix launches a new show every other week these days. So, <laughs> yes. so yeah, so you don't, there is not, that, that format is very much going out the window. And, and now the, the 22 season arc on a network show is, is even, is, is gradually going extinct too. There's, you know, you have your, you have your handful of procedurals and sitcoms, but for the most part, you know, there, there's you're seeing more and more ten episode summer shows. Personally, I like the ten episode structure. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Just from a, from a watcher point of view. Me too. Well, it give well. There's a lot more opportunity for a narrative plot, you know, as opposed to some of these that are just, you know, they're really stretching it out over that seasonal length. And, you know, now in, with binging and everything else, pretty much people are pretty much like watching a, a TV, like a long movie. And it's Ooh, and yeah. it's not like the episodic structure like it was before of like, it's a, you know, it's a, it's the police procedural and it's a new case every episode. It's like now there's a, you know, there's an arc following the characters over that season. That whole old structure, that episodic structure is quickly becoming arcane. And so it's a whole, this whole other, you know, th this more of a serial structure now. So it's a completely different thing. There's so much content out now and I can't watch it all. My wife can't watch it all. No one can watch it all. If there's a show that I missed and it's mm -hmm. 80 to 100 episodes, <laughs> that's a little bit of a that's that's a bit of a hill for me to climb. However, yeah. for instance, Netflix has the the Jason Bateman show Ozark. Yeah, I just you know hadn't got a chance to watch it. However, it's very easy to catch back up into that because it's been on for three seasons. It's only like thirty four episodes. Yeah, my wife and I had just started watching that first season and almost through that. And now I'm thinking, can Galen Howard do an Ozark type accent? Because we could slot you into that fourth season. We should just get Jason Bateman on the horn. I was waiting for you to make that plug, James. But you'd I'm be glad. Perfect, I'm glad. But you'd be yes, perfect, I know. Right? That's what I'm, I'm saying. I'm glad you didn't let me down. I was like, yeah, because that—that's definitely a show I want. I would love to be on. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of you. Like, I'm like, I'm telling you, I'm watching the show, and I'm like, Galen Howard, that mustache, mm -hmm. the hair, you're you're old dark <laughs> material, buddy. <laughs> that's yeah. Well, and that's a perfect pitch to producers. The mustache, the hair. <laughs> but it, it's true. I mean, until you got a great character character look yeah. and my goal is to get you into some of these like cool uh shows so that you know you can uh, get in there anyways um we're gonna get into all sorts of movies see we're starting to we're starting yeah. to get into movies but at heart right you get to act in uh tvs and movies and shorts but i always feel that behind it if you're not a fan of movies to begin with then I don't know what you're doing being an actor, right? So you yeah. must love movies itself too. Absolutely, yeah. I always I'm going to sound like a like a crotchy old man here for a second, but it's like I'm you know the more I I run into you know younger actors and you know there's right. just there there are always exceptions, but you know there's so there's more and more. 
people who are like going into this industry without a, you know, like get yeah, a love of movies and then like a background and a real, their exposure to film only goes back maybe, sometimes maybe 10 years. And I'm like, there's, yeah. there, there's such a foundation of, of film. I mean, for me, what, what keeps me going at it is because that I always know there's some movie from you know, 50 years ago that I haven't seen that's waiting for me to discover is going to just break my brain open to something else. And and I'm, there's always another level. There's always another layer. And so I understand it because especially with so much content out now, it's, it, it you know, I mean, part of the actor's job is to be is to be aware of everything that's filming and all the different things, all the different jobs that are available to them. But underneath that, you have to, I feel like you really have to have a love of film and the and the history of it and how we got to where we are now. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I came to a love of movies, you know, before, you know, you could stream anything within five seconds. I, you know, was at the point where it's like, oh, I'm like, I have to like look for that movie, you know, um, at record stores and, you know, and garage sales to find something. Suddenly, you know, I've I've discovered this, uh, you know, Truffaut movie or whatever, and this cult film that no one's heard of. And those, the joy of that treasure hunt is is a thing of the past, uh, sadly. But you know, there's there's so much that's readily available to us now. I don't think there's really an excuse to not to not really absorb, you know, just the whole the whole history of cinema. I, I went through the journey of on television. If you missed a movie, because there was a lot of films that I was too young to watch, obviously, at the sure, time. Sure. So it was when they showed up on TV and then, you know, all the major networks had their like either Sunday night or Monday night movie. Yeah. And it was heavily edited, but that was the only <laughs> way I could see these things. I know. And so I still grew up in the age prior to the VCR mm-hmm. and when a really big hit movie would get re-released so you could see it in theaters again. That was always a treat. Mm-hmm. And then throughout the 80s, as things were changing, VCR first was like this awesome thing because now I could go to a store and find movies that were obscure. And so that's where a lot of titles got new life that you know otherwise would have just disappeared kind of forever. Yeah. And then, like you said, you know, there's the hunt for these movies in the video stores. So for me, I actually have enjoyed the streaming because I'm always about good quality. And so today, most of these movies that maybe even saw in the 80s on VHS, you can get the nice copy of it. Yeah, the nice I digital. I enjoy that. The, yeah, the, the, yeah, the nice crystal clear digital rendition of it, yeah. But I still have a bucket list of movies that... I've never seen in the theater Mm -hmm. that I'll still, even if I've seen a movie like 20 times, if I get that opportunity to go to a revival screening, I will probably take it. Um, And, you know, and where I live now, they they don't have that, but I'm not too far away from Massachusetts and there are theaters that do that. So The retro screenings, yeah. Yeah, and I go to them. But of course, now my concern is that the longer this pandemic goes and the longer they're shut down, they run a real risk of some of them not coming back and that will be the end of that. Yeah, that's a big concern for sure. I mean, even, you know, I mean, we're hearing even some of the big chains like AMC are in in danger of shutting down. And there's a handful of really great revival houses here in uh, Los Angeles that, you know, that's one of the, 
one of the great things. Well, yeah, you're you're right in the mega that New York and then you know Boston and Chicago are mm-hmm. kind of the four places where you can actually go to revival screens that you could actually see something on film still. Yeah, it's been just been fantastic things. Yeah, we've got the American Cinematheque with the Egyptian and the Arrow Theater, which are fantastic. Let me tell you, yeah, I went to the Egyptian before it got renovated. Mm-hmm. I remember because I, I my freshman year I went to school at USC mm. and. We went down to the Egyptian theater. It was completely disgusting and run down. Yeah. And we saw the sequel to Toxic Avenger. Oh, yes. <laughs> it was so it was so awful. And the theater was just just terrible. And then of course then they renovated and I've never been since, but uh, I'd love to go someday. Oh yeah. I I know people who have worked with trauma. And that whole, that's that's such, I love the spirit of those movies, that, that kind of gleeful aim to offend, it just slaughtering all the sacred cows as fast and as as messily as possible, I think is just fantastic. Uh, yeah, I mean, I loved my time going to the movies in the two different kind of years that I lived in LA, because mm-hmm. after college, when I got out of school in New York, I went out there for a year and, yeah. you know, getting a chance to go to the Man's Chinese, the Cinerama mm. Dome, the yeah. Bruin, you know, all those big houses in Westwood there and uh, the New Art. and New Art's still there. Yeah, I love the New Art. Um, yeah, the of course, the Man, Man's Chinese, the premieres in the in the. The, the, in the main theater there, there's you know they have a lot of premieres there and the and a lot of film festivals in the uh, in the theater upstairs. That's a fun one too. Yeah, and I used to always go to see uh, double features um, mm-hmm. when I was living out there after college. I'd go to the New Beverly a lot. Yes, um, prior to the Tarantino um, mm-hmm. ownership, they've done a great job with their social media because I follow them, oh, yeah. and of course you know they're close too. But they've made themselves you know accessible to so many people, and Absolutely. they routinely sell out their screen. They do. Which is really cool. Oh, it's so great. Yeah. They're, those are really cool. Have you listened to their podcast they do, Pure Cinema? That's a really fun one. I probably have once in a while. I mean, you know, it's like, it, it, again, even with podcasts, right? We talk about all the content, right? It's yeah. it's a jungle out there. It and, sure and is. I, as far as this show is, you know, we put it out there and, uh, you know, we're busy. We have busy other uh, side lives. And so mm-hmm. it's really an outlet for us to have a good time and talk about films. And sure, we want people to discover us, but, you know, we don't spend every waking moment doing like, what can we do now to get more and more and more listeners? You know, <laughs> right. like, exactly. It's just, that's not what this show is about. Right. It's, not, it's not for us to make any money. Um, and, and I love it though, those people that can like get, you know, have the kind of listenership to get advertising and stuff. But oh my God, yeah. th- this show is always going to be a, a free. And, um, but what about the, I, I, we know you like horror movies mm-hmm. and that was probably obviously an influence, but you also had, I think, told me uh, when we were just talking offline uh, on uh, Instagram chats there that you like cult films, right? Yeah. Which is a pretty wide subject, but give me, give me some of the, give me some of the favorites. Let's just see where we're at. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean that's. I love the weird stuff. I, I mean that's. I mean that's kind of a. That's as an as an actor and a performer, or a, you know, storyteller. That's kind of where I live. You know, like we say, I, I do a lot of character stuff. So there's there's so much there's so much fun stuff in that genre. But on a little a little more of the mainstream end, like I you know, I, one of my first loves was the Coen Brothers. I mean, like you talk about like Clockwork Orange being like your discovery of like of movies like being like I want to be part of that like for me that was the Big Lebowski like when I saw that in the theater and 
seeing just the, the the disparate string of references that they were pulling in all these different cultural references phenomenons you know that it's a it's it's like a it's a noir parody but it's a it's a love letter to Los Angeles kind of also a middle finger to Los Angeles in a way it's but it's also you know there's there's references to to the western there's references to German electronica I mean like every yes. little thing it's a big potpourri bag and I was like you can do that in a movie I want to do that you know and wait let me stop you there for a second so you so when you see the big Lebowski yeah you said you saw it in the theater you see Mm -hmm. it on first run or you see it later I saw it opening day. Okay. So you're like me. You're like, I had it on my radar screen that I had to see this film. I, yeah. I saw it opening weekend and I felt like I was uh, Robert De Niro in Cape Fear because I was chuckling like a maniac and everyone around <laughs> me was looking at like, what does this guy know that we don't? <laughs> there was a little bit of that. Like, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I saw it in Davis. I didn't necessarily have the, the frame of reference. I hadn't even seen, like, I mean, I was 15 years old at the time. I hadn't seen Fargo. I think I saw Raising Arizona on television. It's like, oh, that was weird. That's kind of fun. Um, but so that was my kind of frame of reference with the the Cohen brothers. So then I saw that. I think with my with my dad opening day, and it was just it just like just, it was like nothing I had ever seen before. It's one of those things like I like I said like I didn't know you could do that in a movie. I love it. I love see. I love stories like that because again, I'm I'm a different age than you. Mm-hmm. Um, I was older when I first saw it, but I like how you as a teenager, this is something that you recognize. Whoa, wait a second. I don't see movies like this every day. And I think that's why it's become so popular over the Mm -hmm. years, because when people discover it, even now, if you watched it for the first time, you would say, wow, I I don't quite ever see a movie like this. Yeah. It's so great. And it's so atypical of anything. Well, you know, I mean, if you're, you're getting into storytelling structure and that sort of thing, you know, there's this idea of a dynamic character and the dude is not a dynamic character. He's exactly the same as he was from the, in the end as he was in the beginning. And I love that. I, they break all the rules in that movie. But I hear there's a little about yeah, on the way. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't much like when Donnie, Donnie died. died. Yes, that was but. like so. When those moments happen in yeah. the movie, I love it because I remember they. I was with this movie. I was thinking this. This is one of my personal favorites as I'm watching it. And then the ending, I'm like, okay, it's just sort of ending. And then when uh, Sam Elliott comes back and he just says that, uh, well, you know, I had a great time watching it parts anyway like i realized i was like this is genius the coen brothers know themselves that they kind of painted themselves into a corner yes and that there was this was it's really basically a long shaggy dog story yeah and uh i love it i just love that movie i've seen it i don't know probably like 15 times or Mm -hmm. so easily yeah so yeah so i really like that you enjoyed that and i think you've also because i i think i saw one of your posts Mm -hmm. that you Clearly, you enjoy Miller's Crossing too, right? Yes. That one I came to a little later, but The Big Lebowski is so much my kind of movie. And then yeah, and then some of the others like took me three or four viewings to really get Fargo. And then I was like, okay, I know what they're doing now. And So you saw Fargo after Lebowski? Yes. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, the Coen brothers, their, their previous film before that um, was The Hudsucker Proxy. Yes. And I saw that in the theater too. Mm. That was a bomb. And... And 
Uh, you know, we, the internet was there, but it wasn't like it is now. Oh, no, no, no. You know, I mean, again, it was like still dial up. And so you weren't getting a lot of uh, Hollywood info if you were out, you mm-hmm. know, in the East Coast like I was. So I didn't even know they were making a film. And then mm-hmm. I won tickets to it on a radio show. And my girlfriend at the time and I went on a snowy night and the snow kind of kept everybody out of Boston. So there really wasn't very many people there. They were giving away posters. They gave away this little um, snow scraper. And I didn't know why they were doing that. And I got a snow globe <laughs> that had the car flipped upside down. Yeah. So it was like this cool stuff. And I had no idea. When we talk about a, the, a blind experience. I went in knowing zilch zero. So much so that when they said it was based on a true story, I believed them. Right. I didn't know it mm-hmm. was fake. I mean, the Coen brothers, they didn't have enough of a filmography for me to get to that this wasn't going to be real. But the genius of that was that the movie was so outrageous that it was one of those things where like the only way you could buy it was the fact that it was a real story. Right. And so when you when you go in and you're like, yeah, this is so insane. And it started playing tricks on my head. Like, I remember reading about this story. This is so wild. And then later you find out that they just, it was fake. And I'm like, oh, these guys are such, they're so genius. Yeah. Yeah. That was that time before the internet, you could pull the wool over people's eyes. Like even before that, like when uh, for years, people still thought that the uh, Spinal Tap was a real band. Well, that's, that's funny because I knew what it wasn't because um, I was <laughs> just a kid and my uh you know i read about it i was always a big film junkie and i think of my kids now my oldest is 12 Mm -hmm. but he's into video games he he likes the movies too but like at Mm -hmm. 12 i was like hmm i wonder if my mom would take me to see sophie's choice like i was (laughs) really a film nerd and uh, my kids are just not that but i would like read up on all these details that i could of a film but yeah there wasn't any like ew to tell me how about that ending in fargo and then they'd show a, a a shot of it and it'd spoil it and then of course now you have to read on because uh, it's like yeah. man I should have seen it the, the night before I just got spoiled right there would still be like there, there's like the, the, the plot twists like the spoilers for the for some of the big movies like I remember like everyone talking about like the crying game and things like that I, that's again it's all ties into why do I like to go to the movies and get that experience because there are moments when you go into a film and you get something very unexpected and if you're kind of an I call it the early adopter if you're one of the first mm-hmm. to see something you really could be in for an exciting experience and it's like this big Lebowski story for you you know you went in and at the end of it it changed you a bit yeah it did yeah and that's kind of like my love of cult films is like I, I I love things a little outside the box like that and you know I you know so I'm always kind of like like looking for something like that, something that does does something different. That's you know, kind of the redheaded stepchild. You know, just <laughs> well, I'm going to serve you up one right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, I, I mean, maybe you've seen it, and but I'm going to be talking about this on the next episode with the guy that's been doing a few episodes with me, Bill. Okay. You know, look, I've seen a ton of movies, but yeah. that doesn't mean I've seen everything. Sure. And I'm always on the hunt for some little nugget that I should have seen, but there's a lot of reasons why I didn't, and it wasn't always available. And I'm still trying to. Catch up on it. So I'm always trying to find stuff that I haven't seen. Yes. And not just rewatch. So there's a movie that it's just, it's legendary. And I've heard it, it's notorious, but I didn't know, I never really saw it for myself. So I didn't know why. Okay. And I didn't know if it was going to be any good. It's, it's got a terrible reputation, but it's also got a reputation of like, this is a, a scream and you got to see it. Uh-huh. It's on Hulu right now, which I have. Okay. And it's a, gr- it's a great print of it. And have you ever seen 
Russ Myers beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Oh, it's on Hulu right now? It's on Hulu right now. I never saw it. The, the one that Roger Ebert co-wrote. He co-wrote, yes. I, I, I This thing blew my mind. <laughs> oh, wow. I still haven't seen Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. It's, that's on my bucket list. If you can see this film, I'm going to tell you that I don't think it was, I think it was a film It's of its era, but at the same time, they were going for a satire yes. that audiences just didn't weren't able to recognize. Right. And I watched this movie now. I was blown away mm. by almost every frame of this film because wow. it's outrageous. It, just the way that the filmmaking technique, the editing, the composition, yeah. the dialogue. This movie, I was laughing out loud. It, just watching it on, it's like sitting in my bed watching it. Yeah. <laughs> and I basically told my friend Bill, I'm like, we're doing this in the next show. You're going to watch it. And he signed up for Hulu so he could watch it. Um, and then he then he was like sending me texts. He's like, Jimmy, this is hilarious. I can't believe this movie existed. Wow. Yeah. So you want you want to move. You got to go see that film. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I, I, I know Russ, I know Russ Meyer's films for sure. It, you know, it's a little outside of his you know, main reputation. He's obviously known for like Faster Pussycat and uh, Vixen and films like, the, you know, Super Vixens, all of those, like the, the you know, the cheesecake pictures. What this movie was a big influence on, because um, you know, then you read up afterwards. I'm like, I gotta read up more on this Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Mm-hmm. Huge influence on John Waters. Oh well, yeah, they, they they were almost contemporaries. I mean, he started a little before John Waters, uh, of course, but like half a generation on him. But by the time Valley of the Dolls came out, I think he he might have put out like you know, Mondo Trasho and like Multiple Maniacs and stuff like that. But he was still very much like underground, un- under under underground. For me, growing up was one of the forbidden fruits. Oh yeah, was this journey into filmdom didn't happen unless you went to a screening of John Waters' Pink Flamingos. Yeah. Which I was able to do as a teenager. I saw as a double feature with polyester, and they gave us the scratch and sniff cards. Ah, Yeah, and once and once you survive pink flamingos, I feel like (laughs) you can move on to other things. Yeah, because you could you could get it. I mean, you can. There's ways you can get it, but they do not show it. And uh, I kept waiting for like Criterion. I feel like their channel would put it on at some point, and they do multiple maniacs and female trouble and stuff, but they have not put on pink flamingos, and I haven't seen pink flamingos. Since I was a teenager, it's been a while. I haven't revisited that one. It's that's that's one of yeah, you those. You don't revisit yeah. that too often, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, I love John Waters, but I think for me, like, I'm more this point, like, I'm more likely to like put on one of his like lectures or read one of his books than I am necessarily to like put on Pink Flamingos again. So here's one. Have you have you seen uh, Brian De Palma's Phantom of the Paradise? Yeah. Okay. So this is one of those interesting, we've talked about this film um, on our show before. Have you? Okay. Well, only because um, big fans of uh, Jessica Harper, Mm. but I have only seen like parts, like when it was on, like it would be on cable a lot in the eighties. Yeah. Um, So have I ever seen it from beginning to end? No. And it's on my list of like waiting for it to kind of come around and be available somewhere so that I can watch it. Okay. Because I'm a huge Jessica Harper fan. (laughs) Yes. I, I've I've seen it a few times. I've I've seen I, I've seen it primarily in revival screenings. I saw it at the I saw it for the first time at the New Bev, and then at the Arrow, and as part of a, a, a double feature. And it's definitely one like yeah, if you can see it, it's it's definitely one that is meant to be seen in the theater. It's huge in uh, Canada. 
I don't know why, but they, it's a, got a big cult following in Canada. It's, it has that kind of Canadian weirdo aesthetic, yeah. Yeah, so there's those are films that, you know, and again, I really hope that we get to revival theaters opening again because it's fun to see those type of films with an audience. Oh, yeah. It's uh, right. It is that kind of it's that kind of group experience. I mean, that's I think movies are meant to be, you know, whether whether you're seeing, you know, the the latest Fast and the Furious or you're seeing uh, Fan of the Paradise. It's like there's that kind of group experience that you're not going to get on your on your laptop at home. Yeah, because I have to say that the, the majority of those Fast and Furious movies I've seen. I've seen them at home. It's just not, it's, I'm like, why am I watching this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yet, just, there's got to be some kind of communal experience. Yeah. Cause like those are fun too. Like they're just so, they're so ridiculous. And like that, that, those are so, are so ridiculous that there's, I love those kind of, those big action films that get so ridiculous. That they almost do get a, there is kind of a, a, almost a cult aesthetic to it because they're so ridiculous. They so defy reality of just like the, car going into the airplane that goes into the thing, the thing, the thing, you know, this like nesting doll bizarro-ness, <laughs> yes. you know, that it just, it's one impossible thing within another impossible thing within another impossible thing. They keep trying to outdo themselves. And and that almost gets this kind of cult mentality of of just ridiculousness that's that's kind of fun in and of itself. By the way, Justin Lin, if you're listening, and if you're looking for a car driving enthusiast with a mustache, <laughs> got a guy named Jalen Howard yeah, right here. Yeah. Well, well, you know, for the these, next Fast and Furious movie. Well, you know, they drive all these cars. They need like a greasy mechanic, you know. Yeah, see, we got a greasy mechanic on the line right here for you, <laughs> Galen Howard. I'm gonna, I'm going to, um, you know, I'm gonna shop you around. I love it. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny is that again with this communal experience. Sometimes I don't even say it's a cult film. But when I talked about bucket list movies where mm-hmm. I, I've seen a movie a bunch of times, but I want to see it in the theater. Yes. Uh, there was a film in the 80s that I missed when it was in the theaters because it really didn't look very good. Okay. And then I heard uh, Siskel and Ebert praise it and it came on cable. And when it came on cable, it, it started for a few minutes and my, I think my parents were, were watching it and I went in and we all sat down and then we're like, this movie's great. And then probably watched it on HBO like 50 times. It became a family favorite, but I never got to see it in the theater. And it's not something that ever came up in revival houses. Back in the early 2000s, this theater in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, the Brattle, which shows a lot of revivals. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. They did a screening. It was, I remember it was, a, it was blizzardy cold out and I said to a friend, I said, listen, you're coming with me. We got to go. I have to see this film in the theater. And there's this movie with uh, Val Kilmer called Real Genius, right? Oh, yeah. I, I still haven't seen that. I still haven't seen Real Genius. <laughs> oh, my God. You got to see this film. But what was great is I go there and it's packed. I didn't even know if anybody would even show up, right? It was a sellout. Oh, I love that. I'm sitting in this theater getting a chance to see this movie on the big screen for the first time. Mm-hmm. And what suddenly became apparent to me is it was filled with an audience of people who also loved this movie so yes. much that they couldn't wait to come out and see it in the theater. And there were characters. There's like a cult character in this film, this this girl character named Jordan. Mm-hmm. And she was played by this um, actress who did a lot of movies in the 80s. I think it was Michelle Mayrick. But she is this awesome character. And I always loved this character. But what happened is there was all of these women in the audience of the theater who worshipped her character. And when she came on the screen, 
they were hooping and hollering and cheering. Mm. And every time she did something, people were cheering. And I loved, I was like, this is the moment I've been waiting for a movie that I've always cherished. I'm seeing it with 200 other people who also cherish the movie and get it the way I get it. Yeah. And I love that's, that. an, that's the experience I cannot get in my home. I love that. I love the, I love that thing of, you know, people dressing up as the characters and that, and everyone just kind of, coming in with their, like you have this this personal experience with this movie and then everyone kind of comes to the theater kind of reliving that that first experience of discovering this movie. And every everyone has a, a personal relationship to the movie. And so you're, I love that aspect of it. That was the only kind of a downside for The Big Lebowski is mm. that even to bring it up, I feel like that's almost so obvious now because everybody loves this movie and I really like, just like you, I, I got on in that bandwagon from the moment I saw it in 100%. the theater opening weekend and now it's, you know, it belongs to the world and I'm happy about that because I, it's such a great movie. It is. But yeah. I have to like find my own new film to champion because everybody champions that. And yeah, and I and I feel like there's, it, it has all of these different audiences Big Lebowski. It has you and me who get all of the references. And then it has almost like the, it has like the slacker crowd who came in later. You know, now there's, of course, every year there's um, not this year, of course, but there's you know, Lebowski, Lebowski Fest. Fest. Yeah, yes. everyone comes in. I went to one of those, one of the first ones that they did in Boston. Okay. And uh, it was great to see the film on screen again with a bunch of people, of course, who who got it and enjoyed yes. it, and that just makes it fun. So, yeah, I've seen the movie in the theater a few times. Yeah, were, were, were there any were there any memorable uh, costumes? Oh, uh, they did a costume contest for sure. Uh -huh. And but you know what I mean? Again, this was like oh, I feel like this was like what two thousand and five. So oh, okay, so it, it, was, it was early already, on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure now. You know, so I haven't been to one of those again. And uh, like I said, I'm I'm hoping that the future is unwritten. And uh, yeah, I, I am contemplating the possibility of going to the theater they've opened up in vermont where i live it, there's just not very many people who live here and there are not very many cases there hasn't been it's just you know it's because people just don't come here yeah. uh, unless it's the winter time and they go skiing right so uh, one theater is just starting to open up it's up north in, in the burlington area it's a very nice theater it's probably one of their the most luxurious in the in the state mm -hmm. and they are opening up and going to go they're going to show yeah, tenant. Um, mm -hmm. So I have been thinking, do I go up there on maybe like an off night or something and maybe go see it just yeah. so I can get back to the theater and see oh, something? I know. I, know so I don't know. I haven't decided yet, but I'm thinking about it. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, yeah, when they start opening up the theaters again. Well, you know, of course, kind of a cool thing that's starting now in, in some areas is that, you know, they're bringing back the drive-ins. Yeah, and that's funny. A couple episodes ago, I had a guy on, and we, we reminisced all about our drive-in movie experiences, and they did that with my own town, the fairgrounds. They have a fairgrounds here, uh -huh. and they can't have the state fair this year. So the local performance theater, not movie theater, but the performance theater in town, got this idea and said, you know what? Why don't we talk to the the fairgrounds? They're not using it. Maybe we could set up and build a drive-in movie screen and have, you know, movies at the drive-ins for the town. And yeah. they started doing that. And they've actually had some sellouts. So Have you been yet? I haven't. I know this is terrible, but I, I, I'm a very specific drive-in movie guy. Okay. And I'm all about the drive-in movie double feature. 
and mm. they're only showing one film and it's a lot of money for one film. You want to get the I've bang for your buck. I yeah. want the double feature drive-in movie experience. <laughs> and so I have done, you know, but I have gone and my kids have been to the drive-ins. Like there's a drive-in movie theater about an hour and 15 minutes from us. And okay. it's down near a lake. And a, a few years ago, we stayed down there for like one, you know, extended few day period yeah. and we went to the drive-ins. And uh, I love that experience. It's really where my childhood was. I didn't care that it wasn't the best sound or the best picture. It's mm. just that's where my memories were. I love that. And what about you? Did you ever, I mean, did you have drive-ins up in Davis when you were growing up? I don't think I've ever actually been to a drive-in. I mean, I've, it's one of those things I've never, we didn't really have much of that. There were, there was, there, there was a, there was like one drive-in that I would always, you know, drive by and see whatever's, pl- you know, playing on the screen, you know, over like in the, like the Arden area in Sacramento, but yeah. I, I see now I'm planning us here. Okay, stay with me on this, right? Okay, okay. We, we we look forward one year, right? Okay. When when hopefully things are back to normal and we can actually go and do things, right? There is a theater, a drive-in movie theater. It's it's now getting a lot of uh, notoriety. It's okay. in Pennsylvania, Mahoning Driving, and they actually did a documentary about this place. It was like the last 35 millimeter drive-in. Oh wow! And they didn't have the money to switch over to digital. And oh, interesting. there were a lot of young sort of horror and cult movie enthusiasts that mm-hmm. used to just go there and they basically started working there for free and mm-hmm. one kid learned how to be a booking agent and they started like uh, interacting with all of these connections and found a way to just do retro screenings. And they just last year showed Phantom of the Paradise. I love that. And they do the most amazing horror double and triple bills. They do amazing themes. People show up in costumes. Uh, I wanted to go there so bad. We had planned on doing it one uh, weekend this year, but then Mm -hmm. the pandemic happened, so we couldn't. But they also will do, they built a special little projection booth so that they could show the occasional odd digital or VHS things. For sure. And I'm telling you, some of your horror stuff, you guys could probably get it booked at the Mahoning and get it shown on their big uh, drive-in, and then you guys could show up there. (laughs) That's fun. So next year, you can, you can, we can organize that and then you can be there and you can be the big celebrity and then I will try to go to that screening. See, I'm planning. Uh, yeah, that, right. No, <laughs> I love. I, yeah, you're yeah, you're playing this whole full circle thing. I love it. it. Of course, you may be busy. You know, I'll check my schedule. Filming the, you might be filming Fast and the Furious, the next one. Right. You could be You could be filming the final season of Ozark. You could be MacGruber's younger brother. I mean, you're going to be busy after I get through with you. Right, right. <laughs> Look, here's the good news is, right? Now we've just started scratching the surface and we've started delving to the world of cult movies. So I think that's a great place to stop so that we can have you back on the show, hopefully with Teal the next time. And we can just, we've got all the, your history stuff on paper. We yep. got it on the way. Now we can just dive into the movies the next time. We'll get a little update on what kind of wacky projects you're working on. And we can dive right into some more juicy cult movies. That's going to be awesome. I can't wait, man. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully you've had a, a, you know, a, a good time. I certainly had a blast. This has been a blast, dude. Uh, before I let you go, you got any anything plugs? Where 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 do people need to reach you? What should they look for? Uh, give us some plugs. Yeah, I'm. I update uh, on all my projects primarily on Instagram. You can just find me easy peasy uh, at Galen Howard, all one word. And uh, yeah, I put I update my projects, put you know stills from my uh, from my stuff, little little sketches I've done, that sort of thing. You know, it's all on there, uh, kind of one stop shop. And then I occasionally post on. Um, on Twitter, you know, if you search Galen Howard, you can find me there. You know, of course, right right now we're not doing 
we're not doing a whole lot of anything right now, but I've uh, jumped on other on, on some other cool podcasts. There's there's a great cult film podcast I jumped on called uh, Strong Language and Violent Scenes, where everyone comes. Yeah, for the kids. For the kids, where they yeah, these two great guys uh, who are out in in Glasgow, Scotland. They love horror movies, and so I. I came on and uh, speaking of cult films, another wild cult film called uh, Rubber. Oh, yes, yes, yes. yes, about, yes you know, a Killer rubber tire. <laughs> very, yeah, very normal film about a sentient tire that makes people's heads explode. Um, you know, we've seen a million of those. So, of course. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, I, I got to come on and talk to them about that one. And then as far as anything else that you can find of me, I did a really fun uh, music video that came out a couple months ago uh, for a band, um, uh, electronic duo called Disclosure. And uh, they, they had a, a song called Energy, which is a really, really fun video. That it, it, it's kind of an homage to the the Woody Allen sperm segment in Everything You oh, Want yes. to Know About Sex, and so it's kind of it, it's a uh, it's kind of a direct reference to that, down to the costume and set design. And I'm the lead in that, and that was more fun than the law should allow. And we had a <laughs> we had a great time on that one. So yeah, you can check out that disclosure energy if you Google that, you'll find it real quick. So yeah, that's uh, that's what I got. That's awesome. Well, again, I want to thank, thank, thank my guest Galen Howard. I appreciate you giving me all of this time. It has been a pleasure to talk to you in person, and I look forward to getting a chance to chat with you again. Hopefully, uh, the next time we get uh, Teal with us. That would be awesome, man. Thank you so much. This has been a blast. Absolutely. All right. And uh, for all you kids out there in listening land, uh, stuffweseen.com. The Instagram is Stuff We Seen Podcast. There's a Twitter. Again, I told you we don't use Twitter too often. And then also feedback at StuffWeSeen.com. Hey, look, Galen found a way to get in touch with me. And now we just had a conversation. You want to have a conversation? Get in touch with me. And of course, to the Duplass brothers, to the Justin Lin, to Jason Bateman, all those people, uh, Will Forte, there's a person I know who's perfect for a role in your show. His name is Galen Howard. Get on it. Yeah, works for me. (laughs) All right, bye. Bye.